This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. When we talk about the lives of the saints, we generally are speaking about those who have actually gone through the canonization process that involved and highly complicated research and study into the life of that person being considered to join that exclusive group, the likes of which include individuals like Francis of Assisi, St. Therese, St. Dominic, St. Benedict, and, well, the list goes on and on. But as we've said so often, that the dictionary defines saints as holy people. And my guess is that there are perhaps a thousand such individuals known only to God for every canonized saint in the church. They are the ones who laid down their lives for Christ as martyrs, known only to God as they sacrificed their lives for their God down through the ages, from the streets of Rome to the catacombs to to the fields of Rwanda and many places around the world today. Some are missionaries, others ordinary people like you and me, but their stories, like so many others, will be known only to God himself. But the others, the ones we know as the canonized saints of the church, have, in my opinion, been touched by God to carry his message to you and me in a troubled world to show us that God does exist and what he expects of us. Oh yes, saints come in all sizes and ages, from the very young to the very old, to show us the way. And God's ways are far different than man's ways, and he selects these individuals for specific purposes in a wide variety of forms to to get our attention. He touches some of these saints at an early age and others late in life, showing us that salvation is a timeless quest, one toward which we must always aspire, whether we like it or not, because we're on this planet for a really short time. But when the perfect comes and time ceases, forever is forever. And I believe God uses his saints to get our attention, like he started on one particular saint when she was just six years of age. And just perhaps she's a wonderful example of how God's ways are greater than anything we can imagine. And just perhaps God's way of preparing her is an important example of how this one child grew to literally affect the world. Just one example of the power of God. Let's go back in time to the Italy of the 1300s, to the home of a family named Benincasa and their six-year-old daughter named Catherine, who was by all accounts a happy and carefree child, bubbling with cheerful energy in the bustling town of Siena. And this was the time God first made his wishes known to her when she was just six years old. She had a vision of our Lord inviting her to love him as he loved her and to serve him as he would later show her. Her response was an immediate yes, a yes that would be repeated over and over throughout her life as as Jesus would lead her step by step 
to be his ambassador on earth, and he would show her just what he expected her to accomplish. Her early life seems almost more interesting to me as she was prepared to do God's will, as well as the unbelievable feats that this child would one day achieve for the greater glory of God. Now, we all know the enthusiasm of a six-year-old and, and how they love to tell secrets, but Catherine kept this secret to herself. The stories of her life were recounted by her confessor, Father Raymond of Capua, who would one day be beatified as Blessed Raymond of Capua, and whom we might consider her spiritual advisor, who recorded her thoughts and actions, naturally not breaking the seal of the confessional, but through her conversations and achievements. Her story expands one day when she was just eight years old and was walking home with her brother after visiting her married sister, who lived just a short distance away. As they passed the great cathedral of San Domenico, Catherine saw another vision that would change her life forever. She saw Christ wearing the apparel of a pope, seated on a throne with three of his apostles with him. They were Peter, Paul, and John the Evangelist. Frozen in time and space, Catherine stopped in her tracks as Jesus looked directly at Catherine, smiling at her with a loving expression that, that filled her heart with a returning love. Jesus rose and stepped toward her, making the sign of the cross. Catherine was so overcome with emotion that she seemed to lose all sense of where she was and who was nearby, namely her brother. She was filled with the love of Christ so fully that she had never experienced in her young life such a feeling of closeness and a sense of comfort that she had, well, that she had ever known. All that she wanted was to please him and do whatever he would ask her to do. She seemed lost in time and space. Her brother called for her to catch up with him, and looking back at her, he saw that she was standing, still looking upward toward heaven, and, and called for her to come along. His sharp tone broke her vision, and she replied, If you could only see what I see, you would never try to disturb me. Her visions had a powerful influence on the child. Instead of boasting of her experiences or joining with her siblings and friends at play, she preferred to be alone, and when that was not possible and she would be with her friends, she assumed a leadership role in which she would have them play at being saints or possibly teaching them prayers. But above all, her favorite pastime would be finding a deserted area in their big house, or, or better still, some place dark where she could pretend she was in a cave alone and could spend her time in prayer and glorifying God. At one point, she even wanted to live as a hermit where her prayers and devotions would not be interrupted. And she left home one early morning with only a bit of bread and went out through the city gates to find a cave in the rocks surrounding her village. Well, it didn't take her long to find such a cave in which she immediately became lost in prayer, unaware of time or her surroundings. 
Later she realized that darkness was about to fall, and she had spent almost the entire day lost in prayer, and fearing that the city gates would be closed and locked, decided to hurry home. It occurred to her, likely with God's help, that the life of a hermit was not what he was calling her to do. Still so very young, she she was uncertain what God was asking of her. Being lost in prayer with solitude seemed a likely choice, but that's not what he had in mind, and soon he would show her the path she would be asked to follow. That time would soon come as she would begin to understand what was expected as she experienced an even greater desire to be fully united with Jesus and to be his alone as though she would be the bride of Christ. She was still nowhere near her teens. And one day she prayed a special prayer to the Virgin Mary in which she said, Most blessed and sacred Virgin, Overlook my unworthiness and my nothingness, and graciously grant me this great favor, to give me as my spouse the one I long for from my inmost heart, your own all-holy and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise him and promise you that I too will keep my virginity forever spotless for him. And as she offered that prayer, little Catherine saw a vision of Mary together with her son bathed in heavenly light. And as Catherine continued praying, she saw Mary present Jesus to her. And from that moment, she would ever forever consider herself engaged to Jesus. Her biographer and confessor, Blessed Raymond, was later quoted as saying, the little disciple of Christ began to fight against the flesh before the flesh had begun to rebel. She would make constant offerings, prayers, and good works as part of her secret life, carefully hiding her sacrifices from those around her, even though during that period of time her family life was filled with prayer and, and daily family devotions as part of their common activities. Unfortunately, we don't see too much of that in our time, and, and that's too bad, isn't it? In Catherine's day, the lives of children were far different than those of our time. For one thing, Catherine never went to school or was taught to read or to write. Though she had great love of the saints, she was unable to read about their lives. Instead, she had to learn of them from the priests and, and to see depictions of their activities on the stained glass windows of the churches she would attend. Strange to us today, but in Catherine's time, when girls were approaching or entering their teen years, they were considered old enough to marry, and Catherine's mother felt the time was right to find a husband for Catherine, and was shocked at the child's absolute refusal to even consider it, and would view it as an affront to the bride of Christ." For a short period of time, she relented and curled her hair and went to parties. Her family was getting hopeful, but when her sister died in childbirth, 
she was jarred back into the reality of her promise and would never again dress in what she considered a vain effort to be noticed and was sorrowful for what she considered as an affront to her engagement to Jesus. We have to keep reminding ourselves that she is just now entering her teen years. Well, her parents were bewildered and sought the counsel of a nephew who had recently been ordained a priest and wanted him to, I imagine, talk a little sense into the child. Naturally, he met with Catherine, and she was completely forthright with him, telling about her vow of chastity and promise to become a bride of Christ. He completely understood, and to the parents' great disappointment, the good father took Catherine's side and and even suggested a radical approach to make her future goal even more emphatic. He recommended she shave her head as a symbol of her desire to enter the convent. This would not be misunderstood because it was a common action indicating that one would be entering a religious life as a nun. Stunned, the family accepted this action, but in a way they they wanted to show their displeasure. So Catherine was given a smaller bedroom, like that of a servant, and her duties were to be those of a servant or maid in her own household, and perhaps the worst part, she was forbidden to pray or to be left alone where she could even think about God. Blessed Raymond recorded how Catherine was able to circumvent this rule of her parents that she was not to be left alone. He writes how she was able to develop her own private room, away from prying eyes or worldly distractions. Like so many contemplatives, they developed their own private prayer room in their mind, where they could go, where they could think, meditate, and pray with what he explained as, quote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and to build up in her own mind a private room, a secret cell, where she could come and go as she pleased with no one to bother her. Possibly even as a test, perhaps even as you and I are tested, she was ridiculed by her own family, and she overcame that test by pretending she was serving the Holy Family of Nazareth. For a very long period of time, this was Catherine's daily life, and then one night she had a dream in which she would see the founders of many religious orders, people like St. Francis, St. Benedict, and many others. She knew there was a message there, and then she saw St. Dominic, and as she saw him, he approached her and said, "'Be of good heart, my daughter, and fear not.' Assuredly, thou shalt wear this habit. And then he handed her the black and white habit of the Mantellati. This dream provided her the courage to tell her family the promise she had made to God when she was so very young. Her father was not pleased, and one day he saw her as if frozen in time and space, not moving, Despite his orders, he just knew she was praying, and as he prepared to severely chastise her, something very strange happened. A white dove flew into the room and hovered over her head, and 
then literally disappeared, and, and after some time, consideration and, and thoughts, her father told her to keep her vow and do exactly as the Holy Spirit teaches you. A new maid was hired, and Catherine was given her own private room in which she could pray, and she spent long hours of the day and night kneeling before her crucifix, gazing on the wounds of Christ, and as Jesus had chosen the pain of the cross in this life, Catherine also chose pain and suffering to share with her spouse. One must remember, as I said, that she could not read, so obviously she could also not write. Although her room was small and private, she kept it sparsely furnished with only a small chest and a couch on which she placed planks to make it less comfortable, and she also slept on it the same way as her bed in which she slept fully clothed with a small log as a pillow. Her favorite furnishings was her crucifix on the wall, as I mentioned, with a small oil lamp that she kept lit so she could see the crucifix even in the dark of night. Catherine would kneel day and night before the crucifix, and she was now just 13 years old. She would dream about the habit St. Dominic had shown her, the black and white habit of the Montalati, but she did not meet the usual qualifications for that particular order. They were women who lived in the world in their own homes, helping the poor, offering prayers and penance, but she did not fit the usual prerequisites of the order, which focused on older women, widows who would not remarry and and be of impeccable character, and most certainly not a young girl barely in her teens. Well, this didn't faze Catherine. After all, St. Dominic himself had given her the habit in her dream, but she was not admitted, and, and soon she became desperately ill with an illness exacerbated by her fasting and penances. Her mother became frantic, believing that she was dying, and in desperation promised God and St. Dominic she would do anything if her daughter would only survive and get better. Catherine told her mother that if she didn't talk the sisters into accepting her in the order, that she would surely die. The nuns came to see the sick child and agreed that she would be accepted and receive her mantle when and if she was cured. She was sorely tempted before she accepted her habit. A handsome young man appeared, and when she rebuffed him, he vanished. She had been tempted by a beautiful dress that any young girl would cherish. And then she said, and what have I won, she thought, a dark room and pain and suffering. She would turn to her crucifix and say, Oh, my dearest bridegroom, I have never desired any but you. Come to my aid now, my Savior. Strengthen and support me in this hour of trial. And then she heard the rustling sound like that of a beautiful silk and turned to see the Virgin Mary herself carrying a beautiful gown embroidered with gold and decorated with pearls and precious stones. She spoke, My daughter, I have drawn this garment from the heart of my son. It lay hidden in the wound in his side, and as she bent down she was clothed in this beautiful garment. 
A few days later, Catherine's mother and father would accompany her to the beautiful cathedral of St. Dominic, where she would receive her black and white habit. She was completing the promise she had made to Jesus at the tender age of just six. I cannot but help but wonder if that black and white habit looked to Jesus as the beautiful gown his mother had given to Catherine. For three years, Catherine lived in solitude in her room, leaving only to attend Mass, and all the while, at the same time, she was depriving herself of light by keeping the shades drawn and of sound, sleep, and nourishment, and all for the greater glory of God, and to draw her life closer to Him, recognizing the suffering and death on the cross He had endured for her, and yes, even for all of us. And during this lengthy period, Jesus and the saints were her only visitors. But she was constantly assaulted by demons, tempting her to forego this suffering and enjoy the many pleasures of light that would be offered to her. But Jesus would tell her, If you want to have the strength to overcome all the enemy's powers, take the cross as your refreshment. She would confide to her confessor that she would ask the Lord where he was when she would be assaulted by the demon's temptations, and he answered, I was in your heart. Catherine would never forget that Christ is present with us even when we do not feel his presence. After her period of solitude, now probably just past her mid-teens, God told her to resume her family life and start by commencing to help with the housework, but she was also to begin actively nursing the sick and helping the poor. She was broadening her horizons from just the adoration of God to now becoming an active participant in His divine plan for her. She had been given the power of discerning souls, and people from every walk of life were being drawn to this very young woman, even though she could neither read nor write. But her words and thoughts were so inspiring that even priests, politicians, theologians, and others were being attracted to her, and in many cases they would defer to her as their teacher or leader. More and more she wished she could read, even just the Holy Office. And as I said earlier, most women of that period could not read. A friend even gave her a book on the alphabet, but it couldn't have been, uh, it might as well have been written in Greek for all she could understand. She studied hard but made no progress. Again she turned to Jesus, saying, If you want me to be able to read, you will have to teach me yourself. If not, I will remain in ignorance. And from that moment, Catherine began to make progress and was eventually able to read, but not able to spell out the words. And for most of her life, her writings were made by dictation. It was told that in her later years, she would sometimes dictate three different letters or documents to three, three different people at the very same time. Her biographer would claim, however, that by the time of her death, she would be able to write, but I'm getting ahead of my story. More and more, she would visit and help the sick. This tiny, frail young woman in the Dominican habit would be a familiar sight, hurrying from one place of need to the other, having been told by Jesus that he asked only two things of his faithful, the love of God and the love of neighbor. 
Obeying his commands, nothing was too distasteful to her to do. She appeared constantly to be working miracles and, and doing what others would not do, such as caring for a woman in the last stages of leprosy. Everyone refused to go near her, that is, everyone except Catherine. She would bathe the woman, cared for her with her own hands, until they developed the telltale symptoms of leprosy, but she continued. Well, the woman died, and, and Catherine bathed her, prepared her body for burial, and even buried her herself. And as she did, the symptoms on her own hands mysteriously disappeared, and they appeared beautifully white. More and more people were being attracted to her, even though she was just in her mid-twenties. Everywhere she went, the word of God was evident. She converted those being executed, and though this was a period in history where women did not hold the prominence of today, more men of knowledge, more religious, more politicians were attracted to her and were dazzled by her faith and abilities and they learned from her even though she possessed no formal education. But her leadership and knowledge was a gift from on a high, as promised to her when she was just six years old. With her confessor at her side, she was no longer a wonder woman in her native city of Siena, but throughout all of Tuscany and even further distant. Personal visits in person were not the only way in which Catherine was making her views known. She would write uh, or dictate letters to those whom she knew with encouragement and advice, and this circle of correspondence became wider and wider. There were problems within the church and jealousies from surrounding areas which forced the Pope, Gregory VI, to leave Rome, taking up residence in Avignon in France. Warring factions within Italy seemed to make this a protection for the Holy Father when Florence declared war on the Papal States. Catherine believed his place was in Rome, and she was working feverishly to resolve this attack on the faith. It was about this time that Catherine received a special gift from God. She received the stigmata, the wounds of Christ on her body. But feeling unworthy and not wanting to attract attention to herself, she prayed that she might be spared the publicity of this very special gift, and her prayers were heard. Her stigmata became invisible, even though the pain of this blessing remained. She even went to Avignon and pleaded with the Pope himself, and as she tried to convince him to return to Rome, there she was the victim of abuse by the society ladies who made fun of her, made fun of her religious thoughts, subjected her to merciless questionings of faith and doctrine, trying to discredit her. After all, the religious and political leaders in Avignon had much to gain with the Pope living there. Many subjected her to the ridicule of every type and every uh, possible imagination, but what she said had the greatest influence on the Holy Father, and she succeeded in convincing him that peace would be best served with his being at the seat of the church in Rome, and so he returned. The battle had been won because of the efforts of this young woman who succeeded when everyone else had failed. 
Pope Gregory VI returned to Rome and died shortly thereafter and was succeeded by the next pope, and Catherine began to write to the new pope who recognized her knowledge and abilities and invited her to come to Rome where he could have access to her council. For two years she labored with the pope and wrote letters to church leaders throughout the world and worn down by exhaustion and hard work for Christ. She suffered a stroke and had left this world. She was just 33 years old. She left a legacy of miracles throughout her life, but beyond that she left a discourse on the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin, plus 364 letters that are still present to this day, giving us direction as to how we should live our lives and what is necessary for salvation. Letters written to royalty, to the religious, and to the world. Through the mercy of God and his directions, this unschooled young woman was canonized a saint in 1461, and since 1939 she has been named with St. Francis of Assisi as the patron saint of Italy. On October 4th, 1970, St. Catherine of Siena was declared a doctor of the church. Her whole life was a noble sacrifice for the love of Jesus the unblemished lamb, and she proved by her life that with God anything is possible if we only listen to what he asks and uh, that we would do what he expects of us. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.